when you have any question about anything in your life, your marriage, your sexuality, your whatever, do you go first to the Word of God? I believe you can't really call yourself a follower of Jesus and not completely place yourself under the authority of Scripture. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcasts, you know we're in a series of messages that answer critical questions about the Bible, the church, and the Christian faith. All of these programs can be found on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Today, we'll pick up right where David left off in a message called, Is the Bible Reliable? Dear friends, one of the most precious liberties we have in Western civilization is the liberty of free speech. And the moment we are terrorized not to be able to say whatever we want to say, even if it's satirical, God help us all. Because at that moment, what will be the next liberty that we lose? So therefore, if you want to applaud for that, applaud for the truth, not me. Therefore, our nation has always existed under the premise that we have a marketplace of ideas, and anyone and everyone can come to that marketplace of ideas and share whatever they want to believe, how outlandish it may be. And then we give each other the right to agree to disagree agreeably. But what is happening right now in our culture in the name of tolerance is people are afraid to speak because it might hurt somebody else's feelings. And so there's an attempt, even by the government right now, to mute people's ability to speak what they really feel. Dear friends, some of you don't agree with what I have to say about the Bible's perspective on marriage and sexuality, etc. First of all, I say to you, show me in the Word where I'm wrong, and I will repent. I promise. I promise. But secondly, I might not agree with you, but I promise I'll be willing to die for your right to disagree with me. I will die for that right. And all I ask is that you give me that right myself to enter the free marketplace of ideas and say, thus saith the Lord, as best as I understand the word of God. Well, Hugh Ross looked at the Quran and he saw discrepancies in places and times. So therefore, if there are discrepancies, how could it be the word of God? Then fifth, I want you to look at the manuscript evidence. It is so powerful. Uh, There are 20 to 25,000 New Testament pieces, manuscripts alone. The word manuscript means script, writing, manu means hand, written by hand. So there are fragments or larger sections of New Testament work that go to within 200 years of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Please keep that figure 20 to 25,000 in mind. Interestingly, I called my dear friend Hikmat Kashu, who's in Beirut, Lebanon. I emailed him saying, is there anything new in New Testament manuscript evidence today? Because he's probably the leading Arab New Testament manuscript person in the Mideast. He wrote me back, and I could almost feel his rear end dancing off his seat as he wrote me these words. He said, within the last months, there has been yet a published uh, discovery of 18 new manuscripts from the New Testament. And he said, the most exciting one purportedly is a part of the Gospel of Mark, 
which if the dating experts are right, could place this manuscript within 25 years of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Folks, you may not think that's cool. That's got me jumping out of my seat. Why? Because it means that there are eyewitnesses who are within 25 years of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection writing this down. And it means you can go check it out with those who were living during the time. And then he said of those 18, interestingly, it gives you 43% of the New Testament in its entirety within 100 years of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So that moves the 200 years back to 100 years, maybe back to 25 years, which is extraordinary. Now, why is that important? Um, how many of you ever read Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey, when you were in school? Yeah, I, I did too. Here's what's interesting. There are only 634 manuscripts of Homer, and the earliest one we have is within 1,300 years. How many of you read Plato? I, I did. Plato, we have 10 manuscripts within 1,200 years of the first one. And yet there's no scholar today, no historiographer, who doubts the veracity of Homer or Plato. And yet we have 20 to 25,000 manuscripts now potentially dated within 25 years of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and people are doubting the veracity of the scripture looks to me like a liberal bias. And what's even more interesting, as you look at these manuscripts, how they're consistent in what they're saying. Okay, I know. And some of you went to my alma mater, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and you have heard professors there and other places who say, yeah, but did you know? And we're paying these professors hundreds of thousand dollars to teach our children this diabolical drivel. Did you know there are over 200,000 errors in those manuscripts? Therefore, your Bible can't be the word of God. Have any of you heard that argument? Well, let me give you the counter argument. Yes, there are 200,000, not errors, but variants. And when those scribes through the centuries painstakingly tried to copy the manuscripts from generation to generation, they were not illiterate people. They were committed to this cause, indeed spent their entire day writing down the translations, the manuscript evidence. Now, in the ninth century, we had Old Testament manuscripts that had a 900-year gap to the year of Jesus. And many scholars thought we can't really rely upon those manuscripts until the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls put the Old Testament manuscript evidence 200 B.C., which means, folks, as you looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls and the 900-year Old Testament manuscripts, they were almost identical almost identical, which proves these scribes were painstakingly careful in trying to copy every word. But there were variants. There were some places where they didn't get the word right. So if you have 20 to 25,000 manuscripts, and let's say in one of them, a scribe writes an A instead of an an, and it gets translated over and over and over again for the next couple of hundred thousand, a couple of hundred years, It doesn't take long to get to 200,000 at all. But as you look at these variants, they have absolutely no effect upon the truth of the doctrines that are outlined in the scripture, not one. It's almost like when, when you might send me a text 
Any of you have autocorrect on your text? Drives me nuts. But you send me something fast, and I get to a word, and I go, what does that mean? But I look at the whole text, and I can quickly figure out what you were trying to say. That's what happened, as the scribes may have wrongly put a variant in here, here, there, but it doesn't make any difference on the New Testament text. Real quickly, there are three places in the New Testament. Mark 16 and the whole handling of snakes and the drinking of poison. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. And 1 John 5, some verses about the Trinity that are disputed whether they should be there. They're added later on, like the 8th, 9th, 10th century. And many people say they shouldn't be included in your Bible. See, therefore, your Bible's not true. Well, a couple of statements. First of all, there was an oral tradition that existed during that day. These stories were told, and scholars concluded they were consistent with the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. That's why they were added. But tell you what, I'll give you Mark 16 and the snakes and the poison. I'll give you John 8 and the woman caught in adultery. I'll give you 1 John 5. Will you now believe? Will you now believe? Because so often people's skepticism is not a question of authentic seeking, but is a question of the will. It's a question I don't want to believe, even when the evidence is before me. And what's interesting, if you look at these 20 to 25,000 New Testament manuscripts, and you put even, there are five you could put together that would give you Mark, Luke, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Revelation, just in those five alone. In its entirety. And why don't you believe the Bible's true? The manuscript evidence is profound if you're willing to study it. Sixth, the eyewitnesses. For those of you who love academic studies, may I give you a book? Richard Balkum. Richard Balkum, B-A-U-C-O-M, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Um, if indeed Mark can go within 15 years of Jesus, that is powerful. But let's say we just take where we are today, that 100 to 200 years, we've got evidences of the writings of the New Testament to the original events. If you look closely at the scriptures, you will see that there are named eyewitnesses there. And, and if the epistles, which are First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, all those books, are really dated, 1 Corinthians 15, within 15 years of the event of Jesus, and some people even think 1 Corinthians 15 could be within three years of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by the statements that are made there. The listing of all the eyewitnesses by name there are basically ways of the writer saying, if you don't believe this happened, here are names of people, go talk to them. They're still living today. These miracles that happened, here's the name of the lady to whom it happened. Here's the name of the man to whom it happened. Here are the names of the people who saw Jesus raised from the dead. Go talk to them. It'd be like me writing, in 2000, I was raised from the dead. And if you knew that I had written that, what would you do? You'd go talk to my wife, Marilyn. And you'd say, is this true? And she could tell you whether it's true or not because she's an eyewitness to the event. Go look at the eyewitnesses. Also, Mark is really Peter's words. For someone to write a New Testament book, Matthew through Revelation, they had to have seen Jesus raised from the dead. They also had to have walked with Jesus in some way or another. So you have Mark, who's not a disciple of Jesus technically, but he's hearing the words of Peter. 
Most scholars believe, and I believe it too, that Peter's the one who wrote the book of Mark. And Mark is merely writing down Peter's words. Now, in the book of Mark, you have embarrassing details about the life of Peter. He is a liar, he's a traitor, he's a coward, and Jesus restores him. But here's the point. No one writing their autobiography who writes embarrassing details of their life would do so unless they really wrote it. What are you going to do with all these eyewitness accounts to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And seventh, Jesus believed the Bible was the word of God. This is really next week's message, so you've got to come back to hear in greater detail. But next week is looking at the exclusivity of Jesus, that Jesus is God in human flesh. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you believe that Jesus is God, and I'm going to offer evidence next week that believes that Jesus is God, then you've got to have God's view toward the Old Testament. He quoted it over and over again. We saw it earlier in Matthew 4.4. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 when he was confronting the devil. So if Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, he's got to believe that God spoke to those prophets, they wrote it down, and it is the word of God. Why? Because he is God. Then he sent out the apostles, his 12. And in John 16, 13, he said, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and bring to your remembrance everything that I've taught you. And these apostles believed that. When they wrote down their letters to the churches, what we have in all of those epistles, those letters, they believed they were writing the word of God. That's why Paul and John and James and others would begin their works with, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because these words that I'm writing down are literally the words of Jesus spoken through me to you, the church. That's why you can't say, well, that's Paul's opinion. That's John's opinion. Whatever. You've got to say that's the word of God because Jesus was speaking through that apostle. So if Jesus is God, you've got to have his view toward the Old Testament, his view toward the apostles who wrote the New Testament. I'll unfold that in greater detail next week. What do you do with that if Jesus truly is who he said he is? Now, real quickly, let me talk about something else that I need to talk about. The the early church and the canon. Uh, The word canon, the canonicity of the Bible. The word canon doesn't mean gun that I shoot you up with every week, okay? The word canon comes from the Latin word, which means measurement. The Bible is the measurement for all truth and all faith and all practice. So we have these 66 books, and we believe that the Old Testament came together in those 39 books evidenced by the Dead Sea Scrolls and at a council called Jamnia in 91 AD was actually signifying those 39 as the Jewish Old Testament scripture. Those 39 books were what Jesus read, what his disciples read, what they believed, and what they obeyed. It's constantly in the narratives of the gospel accounts. The New Testament letters were formed over a period of several hundred years. But you have Irenaeus in 160 AD, who's an early church father, who said there are four gospels and four gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You also see in those first couple of hundred years, the early church forming which letters they knew were absolutely authoritative. And they concluded those four gospels plus the other epistles based on people who had seen Jesus raised from the dead and who had walked with him. And they finally in 323 AD at the Council of Nicaea confirmed later at Chalcedon some hundred years later that this Bible, these 39 books, these 27 books is the word of God. You can do some further study about the formation of the canon, but you've got to believe the Holy Spirit was working through all those people through the years, through the decades, through the centuries to form together these 66 books as the word of God. Quick statement about the Apocrypha. 
The Apocrypha were books outside the Old Testament canon that were used to inform information about the Old Testament, but the Jews never thought the Apocrypha was a part of their Old Testament canon. You see that through the Dead Sea Scrolls. You look at the life of Jesus and his apostles. They obeyed the Old Testament scripture. They never obeyed the Apocrypha. So Jesus looked at the Old Testament scripture as his word. Moreover, in the New Testament, the Apocrypha was never considered authoritative. But then Jerome, in the 5th century, wrote what's called the Vulgate. He translated the Bible from Greek into Latin to make it more accessible to a number of people. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the church, came to um, Jerome and said, you've got to make sure you also translate the Apocrypha in Latin just to have it. Well, as it always is, the church at some point, we don't even know how, placed the Apocrypha in the Old Testament canon and made it not those 39 books, but several others. And nobody ever objected to it because in the Catholic tradition, the church has authority over the word of God. Then happened the Protestant Reformation where the Protestant reformers reversed it and said, no, no, the Bible is authoritative. Sola Scriptura, only the scripture, that's what informs the church. That was the whole schism that happened. So to this day, the Roman Catholics still have the Apocrypha in their Bible. And they talk to us Protestants and say, why don't you? And here's the answer. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't. He looked at the Old Testament, those 39 books alone, as the authoritative word of God. Yes, read the Apocrypha, learn from it. It gives insights, but it's not considered the authoritative word of God. First of all, to those of you who are spiritual skeptics here today, let me ask you these questions. Do you disbelieve the word of God because you've actually studied it historically, manuscript-wise, and all the other evidences I've given to you? Have you looked at it and rejected it? But more importantly, as Paul said to Timothy, do you obey the word? When you have any question about anything in your life, your marriage, your sexuality, your whatever, do you go first to the word of God? I believe you can't really call yourself a follower of Jesus and not completely place yourself under the authority of Scripture. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with encouragement to do our best for God. We'll be right back. In our community, there are countless people at the intersection of homelessness and addiction. I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. For over 80 years, we have been helping these men and women who struggle with addiction. You know, you've probably seen the individuals who stand at the end of the interstate ramp. They're holding a sign that says, hungry, will work for food. And maybe you've felt a skepticism of, how are they going to use any money that I give them? What do those individuals truly need? Well, at Charlotte Rescue Mission, we are all about transformation. At our men's campus, which is called Rebound, and our women's campus, which is called Dove's Nest, we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who would otherwise not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, 
The mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community whose lives have unraveled due to an addiction. Charlotte Rescue Mission is so grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in making this transformational ministry possible. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote a Davidism called, All God Asks of You is Do Your Best. Yeah, you know, we seize off yesterday's Moment of Hope, where we talked about how God's love for us is not Mm performance-based. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he gives us his love not based on our performance, but... The truth is, once we receive that unconditional love, we know God's eternal forgiveness for our sins. He does ask us to do our best, to live in this world, to serve Him as best as we can. Romans 14, 12 says that every single one of us will appear before God one day and be held accountable for our lives and works. Now, we are saved by grace, not of our works, but if we've been saved by grace, we do good works. Mm. It's the result of of salvation, not the cause of salvation. So I want to adjure all our listeners today to keep doing your best for Jesus. Serve the poor, give food to the hungry, clothe the naked, bring water to the thirsty, go visit the prisoners, be Matthew 25 Christians, where Jesus gives an outline of those of us who believe in Jesus and how we should live our lives for him. But all we can do is do our best. We're not going to be held accountable for other people's works, how they lived, just our own. And indeed, there appears in the scripture to be some justification for the fact that though we're saved by grace, once we get in to heaven, there is going to be a judgment of works, and we're going to receive crowns of rewards for how well we have been faithful with our works to the Lord. So we need to concentrate on doing those good works every single day, not to earn God's favor that's already been given to us through Christ, but simply to reflect our thank you to the Lord for that favor that we have received. It's to please God and God alone. So listeners, please remember, you are only responsible for you But do what God has commanded you to do today. Do your best. Give God the rest for his glory alone. This is so powerful. And that scripture that you talked about with having a crown, you know, in in eternity, somebody said one time, you want that crown so you can lay it at Jesus's feet. What else can you give him except for what you've done? And that represents what you've done on earth for him. Yeah, there's a great illustration that I heard once of. We get into heaven by grace alone. We receive the crown from God for our reward of good works. And then we cast the crown at the feet of Jesus because if everything's by grace, if salvation's by grace, even the ability to have done good works for him is by grace. And I think that's what what the old hymn of the faith, holy, 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 means when it says, casting down our golden crowns around the glassy sea. That is the work of grace that allowed us to do good works. We get God's crowns, then we cast them at the feet of Jesus as a way of saying, it was all about you. Hmm. Even my ability to do good works for you was because of your grace. This is so good, so inspiring. I just want to say to our listeners, go get them. Yeah, (laughs) and you are 
able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond you could ever hope for or imagine through the strength of Jesus in your heart. Well, thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you, Jen. And listeners, please continue to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. If you'd like to receive from me daily in your inbox at 7 a.m. a written Moment of Hope, just go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They are free of charge from my heart to yours to begin each day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for spiritual strength for the pastors in our local churches. 